Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, a lot of women get the occasional beauty treatment, anything from a facial to a manicure to an eyebrow wax. But how much do we know about what work is like for the women who work on us? Salon owners will use intimidation because they can. They understand that a lot of the women that they hire we have a lot of single mothers. We have a lot of people who are, who are in households that depend on their income, even though it isn't very much. And how one worker pushed back. I basically had to stand up for myself and just tell him, this is not okay. You're not doing this. If you choose to do this, I'm walking. In less than 24 hours, I had to be ready to walk away from my job. That was really tough. Coming up, Inside the Beauty Business. When I moved from London to New York, one big thing I noticed right away was how well-groomed the women were. They had manicures and pedicures on a regular basis. I'd never had either in my life. They had their eyebrows done, and I later learned a lot of other waxing too. All this stuff I'd never thought of as important gradually became important to me as well. And I'd read about some abuses in the beauty industry, specifically at nail salons in New York City, where a lot of immigrant women work. But I hadn't thought much about the wider industry until I got an email from a listener recently. She said, I used to work in corporate, but I've been working in the beauty industry for more than 10 years. I love my job, but working conditions are pretty bad. There's a lot of worker exploitation, and it's an industry that's dominated by women. So we got on Skype. And we're using the name Catherine, which isn't her real name, but like another recent guest of mine with a changed name, she doesn't want to jeopardize her job or her reputation. Given what she told me in her email about some of the hardships of her industry, I plunged right in with a money question. I mean, what kind of a living do you make? I mean, I know all that, I'm not saying you have to tell me how much you make, but I'm, I am trying to get a sense of, given what you said in your email, whether you consider yourself to make a decent living from what you do? Yeah, I do make a decent living. Last year, I grossed over $70,000. And this year, it's looking like it'll be the same. But again, I've been in this industry a decade. I'm one of the highest paid people in this industry. And I also charge a lot. So that all makes that work out. But I think the average is like, I want to say the average, I want to say is like 20,000 or 18,000. It's really low. Because a lot of people get in this industry. And if they're not working at a good place, or they don't have anyone to mentor them, and, and we'll kind of get into why, what those reasons are for this. But a lot of people don't make it in the industry at all. They, they start it and they can't, they can't finish because they can't afford to live while they're building up their clientele. So they end up having to get other jobs or do other things and they end up quitting altogether. 
I checked the US Bureau of Labor Statistics website. Pay can vary quite a bit depending on where in the US you work, among other things. But the average pay for barbers, hairdressers and cosmetologists is less than $24,000 a year. The average pay for manicurists and pedicurists is less than $21,000. You say you really love what you do and you feel relatively lucky compared to the people you were just talking about. I mean, when you wrote to me, you said, I can't help but notice how poor working conditions can be for women in this industry. Most of us have no paid time off, no vacations or leave. Talk about that because it's interesting. To me, this is the flip side of self-care, which we working women are urged to care for ourselves, especially if you're a mother as well. Oh, you've got to take time to care for yourself. And what is more indulgent than, than going for a facial or a mat massage or getting your eyelashes done? Yeah, so the flip side to that is <laughs> most service providers in a lot of places don't have children for those exact reasons. There's no pay time off, no vacation pay. Most places do not offer paid training or even you have to go to meetings or events that your place of work will host and you're not getting paid for that. You are only getting paid for the service that you're providing in the room with a client. I've seen a lot of pregnant women who have been in this industry. They're not given any time to rest. A lot of times the service providers do not get lunch hours. They do not get breaks. It's a long day. She says even if your day officially ends at eight, that's just when the appointment wraps up. Then you have to clean up or you might have to prep for the next day. She says the hours can be especially tough given how few workers ever get two days off in a row to recharge. Usually you're working, you know, you might be off on a Monday and a Wednesday. Well, if people have kids, their kids are at school. And then you've got to find childcare to watch children until, you know, you get off work at nine o'clock at night. For a lot of people, it's just not sustainable. This is part of the reason she and her husband decided not to have kids. They were on the fence anyway, but Catherine says knowing the industry's odd hours and random days off, she decided it was just going to be too hard to manage. She's seen many colleagues struggle as beauticians and put up with a lot of dodgy work practices. She says the problem is most of them start out very young or they're not well educated or both. When you start a new job, and especially if you're new out of school, A lot of people, I would say not all of them, but probably over half, have not gone to college or may not even ever had a professional job. A lot of people in this industry do not know what is okay and what's not okay. And the rules that are not followed, it is so rampant that, and because you work weird hours, because you don't have a normal schedule, the only people that you really see or hang out with are other beauty providers. So she says you hear people talk about their work horror stories and you may think, well, at my place, it's not quite that bad. So I guess I have it pretty good. When in reality, that's far from the case. Salons are meant to pay employees their commission or minimum wage based on whichever is higher. But Catherine says a lot of places flout those rules and many workers just accept the status quo because they really need the money. Starting a new job can bring hardship for everyone. So these new people are coming in. Not only is the new person coming in, doesn't know any of the clients. They have to get to, they have to earn the client's trust before the clients will want to see them to begin with. And when an owner hires a new employee, everyone else that works there is going to get a pay cut for a little while until that new person is up to speed and is bringing in their own clients. 
So basically the same amount of work is now being divided up between more people, so each person gets less. That is, until the new person starts attracting more clients and bringing in more cash. And it takes a good two years to build a clientele. So no matter where you work, you're going to have to sit there for two years seeing people, being available at any time, being ready for any service if someone walks in or calls because you do want to build that business up. But again, if things are not going well where you work, if you've been there a little while or even if you haven't been there a while, you know you're going to have to start all over again and it's going to be another two years before you're making an income. So that that's one of the hardest things, and I think that is definitely something people don't understand as far as, well, why don't people just quit these jobs? It's not that easy. She says she'd never have made it to the point she's at now if her husband hadn't supported both of them when she was starting out, earning about $200 a week. Something else she mentioned in her note to me was the pressure women like her are under to look good. After all, they are beauticians. And some bosses have no trouble reminding them when they're letting the side down. One salon owner she worked for early on was particularly blunt. At one point, she had a meeting that we had to attend. And one of the hairstylists who had been there a long time um, had been on maternity leave. And she had been on bed rest for like seven months. So she could not do anything through her whole pregnancy. It was really difficult. Um, and she gained some weight. So after she had her baby, she came back to work, and she had only been back to work, I want to say, maybe a month. The owner in front of the entire staff calls her out and says to her, you really need to get your weight down. You used to look really good, and you look so sloppy now. You need to get on some diet pills. Like, straight up told her in front of the entire staff that she was fat and ugly and needed to get on diet pills. So that was one extreme. At her next job, she says she worked for two great women. They were professional, fun. The hours were good. She's now at her seventh salon and spa, and she's had some issues with her current employers. We'll hear a bit more about that later. But she says everywhere she's been, she tries to stay focused on the clients. Us, in other words. Women right now are so overworked and spread so thin. When they do finally get to come in for a service, which they all say every time, oh my gosh, why don't I do this more often? They don't have time. They don't have time and some of them don't have money. They have kids, they have jobs, they have so many things going on. They're stressed to the max. When they come in, I want them to relax. I want them to have that time to themselves. And that's the thing with this industry, why a lot of us stay in it. We love our clients. We want to help. We want to give people that place of respite. And that is such a special thing to be able to do for someone. She says it's that that has kept her going, even when things have been crazy outside the treatment room. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. After I first heard from Catherine, I started doing some research and I quickly came across a site called ThisUglyBeautyBusiness.com. It's written by a woman called Tina Alberino. She's a former spa worker who's basically become an activist over the past several years. She concentrates on educating salon workers who have no idea about their rights and educating salon owners who want to be good employers. She speaks at trade shows, she teaches classes, and she works as a consultant. All this, and she's only 30. She started studying for her beautician's license when she was still in high school. In fact, she started working in salons at 15. And my first salon owner was the best one that I had ever had. She did everything by the book. She was very concerned about employee rights and about uplifting women. And so she was like this big feminist with, you know, all of these great policies at our salon. And we had a phenomenal workplace. But then a hurricane came and wiped the place out. Tina's based in Florida, and this kind of thing does tend to happen. Then the staff found out the owner was sick. She later died. Tina now found herself in a world of less ethical salon owners. And so I was kind of thrust into the industry with this idealistic vision of what it was, only to find out that none of the places that I went to apply to did things legally or compensated correctly. The workers were treated like they were disposable or like they were servants. And so I'd end up working in these businesses And within the first three months, I would have to explain to the owner, like, you need to make changes. We have to do these things. But these problems in our industry have been going on for so long that people have thought they were legal this entire time. So when you prove to them that it's not, it's like their mind is blown. And I'm always shocked because I get these emails and I read these comments from salon owners and salon professionals who have been in this industry for decades and had no idea that the entire time they've been violating wage laws, they've been having their wages stolen and that none of this is normal. Well, I mean, how did you come, when did you start the site? When did you decide you needed to start writing about this and trying to let people know that perhaps what was normal in their work world actually shouldn't be normal? I just got frustrated. I had a really bad experience where um, at one point I was a manager for a very well-known salon chain that's inside of the department store, and they had offered me my own store. And before I accepted, I received another offer from another chain. And this was a chain that is only found in airports and um, I, I wasn't very familiar with them, but they offered me a much better deal than what I was getting from my current employer. So I took it. And I, that was the worst 
decision I've ever made. I have never seen such intentional abuse of disenfranchised females in my entire career. They were intentionally hiring uh, illegal immigrants. They were treating them terribly. They were not paying them legally. It was just awful to see it. They were, uh, they had this um, Peruvian man who was in charge of all of their, their stores and he was threatening them with deportation if they didn't behave. The way he'd talk about them was just disgusting. And as soon as I realized that, I realized I'd made a huge mistake. But at that point, I already had a store of my own and eight other women who were depending on that store for income in a town where they didn't have many options for workplaces. She approached the manager about changing his tactics. He was less than receptive. She ended up quitting. She started her site the following month, and it took off in no time. If you go to the site now, you can get an idea of the traffic just by seeing how many comments there are beneath a lot of the posts. Every time Tina writes about a topic like, say, laws salon owners should be abiding by, she's flooded with inquiries from workers saying, hey, this is happening to me. What do I do about it? Is it illegal? She says she spends every morning of the week replying to comments and emails. Some of those come from the UK, from Canada, New Zealand and Australia. And she has to tell those people, sorry, I just don't know enough about the laws of your country to be able to help you. She mentioned disenfranchised females just now. And that's what I wanted to ask about next. I said, do the problems in this industry stem from the fact that it's so women dominated? In other words, because female workers tend to have less of a voice, tend to be more easily taken advantage of. But she read my question slightly differently, and her answer had more to do with female employers and their part in this. I really do feel like a large reason for it is that we are female-dominated. So what I find in my consulting clients when I'm helping them establish their businesses is that my female salon owners are far more concerned about things like the decor and the service menu and whether or not uh, the service protocols are sufficient for the customers and what product lines they're going to use. And all of those things do matter. But I do notice a huge difference in my male salon owner consulting clients where they're more concerned about money. They're more concerned about whether or not it's going to be a profitable venture, what's legal, what isn't, and what they have to do to make sure that they're in compliance. Whereas when I'm talking with a female salon owner, it's very difficult to sit them down and really get them to pay attention while we talk about the most important aspect of their business, which is making absolutely sure that they understand that their salon has to be in compliance with a wide variety of laws that are always changing and that it's their responsibility ultimately to keep on top of it all. You know, and a lot of times what I see is female salon owners will say, oh, well, I have an accountant or I have a friend whose sister is a divorce lawyer and sort of knows about employment law. And she says all of this is fine. And they're willing to kind of take that advice at face value, whereas my male salon owners are like, no, I need to talk to somebody who's a specialist in this field. And who do you recommend? And when can we sit down with them? I need to see documentation. And I don't know whether that's, I I don't want to say that that's a gender thing. I think it's just that 
the majority of women who are in our industry are in it because they love what they do, not because they love business ownership. Whereas male owners are in it because they want to own a business that will make them money, not because they want to do hair or work in a cool workplace. She says it's not that women owners are trying to be callous. They just have less interest in the compliance side of the business because they're so focused on client services. Not that all male owners are paragons of virtue either. She says too often salon workers are misclassified as independent contractors when they should be employees. She says they're controlled like employees, but they have all the tax burdens of the self-employed and none of the benefits. Another thing she says that happens all too often is wage theft. So owners won't pay overtime when they should, or they'll deduct the cost of beauty products from an employee's pay. And she says often the salon owners will insist this stuff is okay, simply because it's always been done that way at every place they've ever heard of. And if a worker does suspect something might not be quite right with their situation, good luck bringing it up. Salon owners will use intimidation because they can. So they understand that a lot of the women that they hire are, we have a lot of single mothers. We have a lot of people who are, who are in households that depend on their income, even though it isn't very much. So they know that they have this leverage and they know that the job market is just flooded with licensees. So they'll say things to workers like, well, if you don't like it, you can leave. And in nine out of 10 times when I've helped a salon worker bring up the misclassification or the abuses going on in the salon to their employer, they end up getting fired immediately. I mean, and I I warn everyone that contacts me for help, I'm going to give you advice, but the first thing you need to do before you take any of it is find another place to work because I guarantee you there's there's an 85% chance that your salon owner is not going to appreciate being told that they're doing things illegally and what they're going to do is fire you. All of which is depressing to hear for those of us who get haircuts or manicures or waxes. You know, people may listen to this and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I really didn't realize it was this bad. If I want to be an ethical consumer of, you know, beauty services, what am I supposed to do? It's incredibly difficult. And I just spoke to a reporter in Duluth who started writing a piece about it when she realized that the woman who had been cutting her hair was classified as an independent contractor. She hires out freelance writers all the time, so she knew that the classification was inappropriate. And when she called me, she asked me the same question. I don't have a very good answer because there really is no way to know whether or not the person who's doing your hair or doing your manicure or pedicure is being classified or compensated appropriately, or if they're being overworked and not paid. And there's just no way to know unless you ask. And when this reporter friend of mine asked, they hung up on her and they won't take her calls or her requests for an interview. They, they just don't, they don't want to talk about it. And it's, again, a lot of the employees in this industry are, kind of ruled by fear, they know that if um, they say the wrong thing or they do the wrong thing, they could lose their job. And a lot of our workers can't afford to lose their job, even if it's terrible. And even if they're making $80 at the end of a two-week pay period, 
They can't risk it. And Catherine, my earlier guest, even though she's doing fine, she wouldn't talk to clients about any of this stuff, even if she did feel exploited. As a service provider, I would never have these conversations with my clients because I would never want them to feel guilty or bad about coming in and getting a service done. And they're just things you don't talk to your clients about. It's inappropriate. And I think that when they're coming in to get something done, to feel good about themselves, to make themselves feel better, you don't want to bring up something like that. Yeah. Does that make sense? I mean... Sure. No, You like you said, it's your job to make them feel good and, and have them going away also wanting to come back and do another one next month or in two months. Exactly. What do you hope for the future of the industry? Do you think... Do you think anything will change or do you think things are pretty much in a rut as regards the ethics of salon owners and the treatment of the people who work there, especially when you're lower down the totem pole? I think that as time goes on, I I feel like the beauty industry is kind of a last frontier for workers' rights because it's women-based. I could be wrong about that, but I do think that that's a big part of it. And to add to the fact that many people who are drawn to this industry are, we're people pleasers. So a lot of us, it's against our nature to be assertive. It it can, so it's almost like those two factors really complicate it. So I don't know. I, I, you know, I know that there are other people talking about this and this is something I have wanted to talk about because I have been lucky and been able to be assertive. My husband has been a huge help. He has helped coach me when things happen at work that I need to create a boundary for or be more assertive about. He will coach me. But if I didn't have him, there's no way I would have been able to get as far as I've gotten and to be as successful as I have become without his coaching for myself personally. And I know there are other women who are just like, they are making a great career and they're doing all this great stuff. And there are people out there and there are good companies to work for. Unfortunately, it's just they're a lot more few and far between than the not so good ones. To her point about being assertive, she's been working at her current salon for five years. About three years in, she says she'd built up her clientele and she was book solid. She was doing really well for herself and for the salon. Then three of her co-workers quit right around the same time. Her boss came in at the end of the day and he told her he'd be giving her a 10% pay cut immediately until the salon could get those incomes replaced. She went home, told her husband, and he said, no way. If they're going to cut your pay by 10%, tell them you're quitting. I had to call my boss the next day and my husband literally coached me through telling him that you are not going to change my pay. If you decide you're ever going to try to change my pay again, I will walk out that minute. And I I basically had to stand up for myself and just tell him, this is not okay. You're not doing this. If you choose to do this, I'm walking. In less than 24 hours, I had to be ready to walk away from my job. That was really tough. And he did, he did concede. And he, cause he, the thing is with a job like this and any other beauty professionals out there. You need to know your numbers. You need to know how much money that salon owner is making off of you. Because if you know that they have no job without us, they don't have a salon without us. They want to act like we're lucky to work for them, that they're giving us a job, but we give them the lifestyle they live. And most salon owners or spa owners live 
a much better lifestyle than those of us working in their salons. She says it's really important to know what you're worth to the business. I said, so hang on, is this the same place you work now? Are these the same bosses? <laughs> same bosses. It's going great. We get along fine. But I've had to have some serious talks with them through the years that I've worked there. I mean, I've had to tell them a few times, you keep pulling this kind of stuff on me, I will leave and mean it. And now they don't ever do that because they know what my boundaries are. And they respect them. Thanks to Catherine and to Tina Alberino for being my guests on this show. That's The Broad Experience for this time. As usual, you can comment under this episode at thebroadexperience.com or on the show's Facebook page. I'm going away for a couple of weeks, so there won't be another longer show in August, but I am going to release a little bonus show with Tina Alberino, and we talk about a completely different topic for a few minutes. It's not beauty-related at all. It just came out of a surprise comment she made at the end of our interview, and I thought it was worth sharing. So look out for that. If you like what you hear, please consider kicking in a donation to this one-woman show. Anyone who can afford to give $50 will get the official Broad Experience t-shirt. Check the support tab on the website to see what that looks like. And if you can't give money, just give the show a good rating and review on iTunes. All your support helps the podcast. I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.